y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode number 362, I am welcoming back on the show, Shauna Nequist. When I was in the, the most intense stretch of pain, I thought I'm never writing again and I'm never connecting with people on a deep level. Again, I'm never opening my heart or my home to anyone ever again. And those are okay things to feel. And also, if I let my own vocation, my own calling, my own greatest passions be lost in the middle of all this pain, what a tragedy, right? Enough things were taken from me. I did not have to give up some of my greatest joys and callings, which are writing and hospitality. Shauna has come on the show twice before and links to those episodes are in the show notes. She came in 2015 and the last time was in 2016. A lot has happened since that time in her life and maybe you can relate because we all walk through seasons of transition, whether we leave something behind by choice or that choice was made for us. And life after a disruptive event or during that transition can feel like starting over just as much as a move clear across the country. You may be asking the question, who am I here? Even in familiar places and routines. And Shauna encourages us in what to hold on to, what to let go of in those seasons of loss. She's going to equip us with three tools for the journey, curiosity, self-compassion, and courage. And we're going to discuss how prayer can tenderize an angry heart. She shares how she hangs on to writing and hospitality. She even helps me figure out what to put on a charcuterie board. It's an easy formula, y'all. Stick around for that. She writes about these things in her new book, I Guess I Haven't Learned That Yet. Such a great title. It releases April 12th. And if you've ever wanted a go-to simple formula for the perfect charcuterie board, stick around for the end of the episode because Shauna gives me a few pointers. Okay, let's get right to it. Here we go. Shauna, welcome back to the Don't Thank Mom you. podcast. It may have been the God-Centered Mom podcast last time you were here. That sounds familiar, yes. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to welcome you back. And so much has gone on in your life and so much you've experienced. And so I'm thrilled to just catch up with you and hear more about it. And really, I don't know if you feel this, but as my years keep ticking, I had my birthday yesterday. I feel like I, thank you. I feel like I know less and less, Mm -hmm. but some general principles, like I'm not going to give you tips and like formulas, but I'm going to, I would love to hold your hand. And so thank you for holding our hand and just being a guide in seasons where we're untangling and finding a place to stand when we're trying to find belonging in place. And so we appreciate you doing that. Well, thank you. I think if I've learned anything the last couple of years, it's that I'm not alone being in that season that so many of us are leaving one way of living or one set of relationships or one identity and trying to find ourselves in new seasons and new places and new ways of living. So I think that's, that's not a me thing. That's an us thing right now. Yeah. It really, every word you wrote, I was resonating with and also just in talking to lots of people through this podcast, this is, is such a help. It's such a help that you went first, at least, or you have bravely wrote it down and you, uh, are guiding us. So 
talk us through some of your untangling or just the old, the new literal moving, but there's more than beyond just moving locations for your story. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. You know, um, when I look back on it, I am a classic overstayer. I'm a holder honor. I'm, I'm the last one to know, like when it's time to move on to the next thing. And for several years, my husband has been saying, he wanted to move away. He wanted our life to look different. He wanted to be a part of a different kind of church. And I kept, I couldn't picture it. That didn't, that didn't feel right to me. I wanted the exact same thing I had always had. I, I valued security and familiarity and stability. And I was sort of the last one to know that uh, a lot of the best things in our life that were wonderful for that season, they had ended. Our connection to our church had ended. Some key friendships had ended. My husband's job at the church had ended. And for the first time in our lives, we weren't tied to a particular place for our work. I had been freelance for a long time, but he had always been tied to a specific church. And for the first time, that wasn't true for us. And so for my husband, that felt like a really exciting opportunity to do something totally new. And it sounded to me like we should definitely just stay where we were. <laughs> um <laughs> But he was right. And we, uh, the four of us, moved from the suburbs of Illinois to Manhattan. We traveled all around the country trying to figure out where our next place was. It felt sort of like Goldilocks like, is this our new home? Is this our new home? There are a lot of great places in this country and places that would have worked wonderfully, but there was a sense of every door we tapped on moving to New York just flung open. And there was a, a really clear sense of, kind of the, the cards falling this way. And it really surprised us. It's not something that we had considered, but our lives look really different than they did five years ago. And I think I, I'm really grateful for that. I think one of the things I, I would never say like, wow, I, I was so brave and I chose to make some really great changes. No, I was not brave <laughs> at all. I was terrible. I had like, I just like white knuckled the whole thing but I'm really grateful for where we ended up and I've learned so much and I'll go through big changes in a really different way moving forward than I have in the past. It's not as scary. It's much more possible. We have so much more within us to bolster us and move us forward. So I'm really grateful for the things that I've learned along the way. That image of you holding onto the ski rope. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Your face through the water and they're like, why did you not let go? It's like, you told me not to like, this is, this I am is not, what's right yeah. and good. Even if it's miserable, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I am not by nature, a letter goer. Yeah. That was really resonated. Okay. So as a part of that, as a part of following the lead and tapping the doors, and I think some of us have been at those impasses where we know we aren't supposed to stay, but we're trying to do the next thing. There's also what I heard you write about was kind of this, who am I now? Mm -hmm. If so much of who I was, was in that place with those people generationally, I have roots and it's just like, okay, it's me. It's this body. It's these people. Talk to us about that process. Yeah, that was a very it was a really hard process. And, you know, now it feels really freeing, but at the beginning of it, it felt very disorienting and very scary. And I have several close friends who've walked through a similar kind of unbelonging in different ways. A very good friend has found herself 
single and no longer married after a very long marriage. And there's all the different components of that. But one of them is who am I now that this family doesn't exist the way it used to? I think that's true for people who are suffering in major uh, with health challenges. Who am I now that cancer is a part of my story? Um, and so, you know, for me, it was a lot about being very well known and well defined by my hometown and my church and my family and the life that we lived in that very specific place. And all of a sudden, I went to New York, I got to New York, and nobody knew anything about me. And there's something about that that's really lonely. And there's something about that that's really lovely and freeing. And I felt both of those things. There's something really great about getting to build new relationships with exactly the person you are now. You know, Mm. Um, here I am right now, 45 years old, mom of these two kids, partner to this man in this little apartment. Um, You don't have decades of history connecting you. You don't have that knowledge of like, you probably went to school with my cousin or you probably babysat my so-and-so or whatever. There's not that familiarity, but there is a sense of getting to know people on our own terms as an adult. And I've really enjoyed that. That's been a really cool process. Talk to me about that. I'm curious, like, tell me more about that. Like getting to know people when you don't have history. Well, some of it is you don't get to depend on the shorthand of all the things you have in common, right? or all the shared experiences, but you get to connect on new things, maybe things that are a part of your life now that weren't forever, or um, you get to, I I think it's made me more curious about other people. Tell me about your life. Tell me why you live here. Tell me what brought you here. Tell me what you lost or had to give up in order to get here. I'm a lot more curious about other people's stories. And I think when you've been through a really hard season, you become much more aware of the pain other people are carrying. And you start to hear different things in the way they tell stories. And you start to recognize things in other people's stories and say, yeah, that was hard for me too. Or I thought my life would be always be this way. And now it's this way. And that's hard too. I think those connections are really important. I remember meeting someone, a new mom, she's actually had married a widower and I was hearing her story and she just like flippantly like, well, we know suffering. And I thought this is yeah, this is it. Suffering sees suffering. And there's a connection point there when we're willing and there's a vulnerability with a new person sometimes of like, okay, we'll go here and let's see if you'll follow me. And maybe there's going to be a depth that I haven't experienced with people I've known for decades, you know, because of this newness. And I have, I have nothing to lose. (laughs) Like if you reject me, Mm -hmm. that was a conversation. Mm -hmm. That's all I lost. (laughs) <laughs> That's absolutely true. And if, if there's a strong sense of connection, you get to move forward together. Yeah. If there's not, that's okay. Um, I, th- I think I realized how many relationships I had been staying in because the history was really valuable to me, wow. but we had, we were really different people at that, at this point in our lives. And to get to say that, um, and to get to give each other a little freedom and space is not a bad thing. It's very hard to have relationships end, but mm-hmm it's not wrong every time. And that, and that's been a hard thing to learn, but a very real one. Not every relationship is for forever. I've always appreciated Shauna's views on finding joy in the simple things. And for me lately, I've told you all about this before. It's one of our sponsors. It does bring me legit joy is my Athena club razor. I don't know why it's like I've treated myself 
in the kindest way. Because of how the razor is designed, it has a water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, which is like the holy grail for skincare. It has a skin guard. I don't get razor burns. And the best part is it's only $9. It comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for shower storage, and I get to pick out even the handle. And you know, I'm going with my rose gold. The razor has six color options. You can even do black and white razors, which you've never seen before in other brands. So if you don't want to have to worry about running out of refills or like I had done in the past, stealing your spouse's razor that gets dull and overused, you need to check out Athena Club razors. And please, please, please try their cloud shave foam. It's amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. Show your skin you care with the Athena Club Razor Kit. Sign up today. You're going to get 20% off your first order. Just go to athenaclub.com. Use the promo code DMA for Don't Mom Alone. That's Athena, A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with promo code DMA for 20% off. Okay. I just had seven questions hit my head at the same time, and I'm deciding which rabbit trail I want to go on sure. because I have my finger in your book at a spot that has impacted me to the point that it, it changed my quiet time this morning. So, wow. and, I, and it goes along with what you just said. Okay. Okay. Relationships are not meant forever. I think with moms Yeah. and you've experienced this, I'm sure even with moving, but you have your mom friends when they're babies, you have your mom friends when they're like elementary, and then you get into like teen years and it's a whole new set. I feel like it is, but then there's the ones that you just stick, but there's a little ebb and flow, especially if you choose different schools and knowing, am I clean? Am I holding onto the rope? Right. <laughs> it's time to let go. What is, what, how should I respond? And then sometimes there's an actual conflict mm-hmm. and how do I respond? And what I'm going to reference is on prayer and your cold moon section Mm -hmm. and the prayer you started praying for a relationship that was challenging Mm -hmm. and the four pieces. Mm -hmm. Do you want to describe it? Um, me to read to you. No, go for it. You read it. (laughs) I'm going to get it wrong. Just yesterday. someone I know. Like someone just asked me. Yes. Yeah. Someone just asked me a question like, well, I know you said this and I gave completely the wrong answer. They're like, that's not what you said. (laughs) Oh, okay. So I'm going to let you do it. (laughs) It's like these books are years in the making. Mm -hmm. Edit them a thousand times. Did Mm -hmm. I keep that in or did I take that out? How did I phrase it the second, third, said 10th time? Okay. So you took the words of union, protection, joy, sanctification, Mm -hmm. and you made them your own support, blessing, delight, Mm Christ-likeness. And you would pray those four things Mm -hmm. for Aaron, for Mac, for Henry, and then for your friend, Mm -hmm. when you're like not knowing Mm -hmm. where do we go next? I feel Mm -hmm. like praying these things over friendship, whether something changes externally, something shifts internally. A hundred percent. Yes. Okay. So could you want me to read it? Sure. Okay. I prayed for union that my friend will be connected and supported and that at some point I'll be part of that with them again. I prayed for protection that they will be kept safe, body, spirit, heart, that nothing will cause them pain. Not even me, not even me. 
huge because sometimes it may not be them. Mm -hmm. I prayed for joy. I asked God to bring joy into their life every day. I thought about some things they love experiences, moments that I know would be joyful for them. And even though I won't be part of them, I asked God to bring those moments and experiences in their life. And I prayed for their sanctification, that Christ likeness, that they will be brave and kind and generous, growing in tenderness and love for others and willing to stand up for what's right. So tell us about these prayers. I want to know. Well, there are some friendships that end naturally, like, like you were saying, like our kids went to junior high together, but they're not going to high school together and no one's heart is being broken. It might be like a little sad, but it's not a breaking. It's just a transition and that's okay. This was different than that. This was a person to whom I was very committed and something broke between us and we both knew it. It wasn't unclear and it was broken. And, um, I tried to fix it. And in those months, it wasn't fixable. And I wanted to be a good friend, but I couldn't interact. So how do you be a good friend when you can't pick up the phone or text or stop over? Like, how does it work? And it troubled me. It, and I think that's a thing to pay attention to when a relationship transitions and you feel some freedom about it. That's a good thing to pay attention to when it like causes you a lot of pain when the broken, and again, this isn't a transition. This is a brokenness. It's a different thing. Yeah. And so I thought, I'm just going to keep praying because I need, um, this is a way that I can care for this person, even though we're not in relationship right now. And I noticed how much it tenderized my heart and and it felt like a way of loving them, even though I couldn't show my love in the way I wanted to. Mm. And things are not what they were but we are in relationship again. And I think that prayer was part of it. I think it kept my heart tender, even though I was really hurting, you know, at a certain point when someone's really hurt you, you want to either hurt them back or you want to protect yourself from getting hurt again. And praying for them kept me tender, even though I was hurt, it kept me from protecting myself too much and pulling away or wanting to hurt them. And I think that's one of the things that contributed to us being able to rebuild something. I'm really, really grateful for that. It's really wise. And I think, like you said, paying attention to how you're feeling as you're praying, like that mm-hmm. there's desire for continued relationship. This is definitely because there's, and there are people and places and times that we do for health and healing. We have to cut off and set good boundaries. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yes. But even as we're talking about this untangling from whatever it is, whether it's a church experience or a community experience or a family experience, to be able to pray these prayers in that releases it to God. Like mm-hmm. you said, keeps your heart soft instead of becoming bitter. Because I think mm-hmm. in some of this unbelonging, did you find there was a temptation to become bitter, angry? Oh, absolutely. I, I had to work really, really hard on my anger and it felt like one of my kind of one of my jobs or practices every day was active forgiveness. I, there were a handful of people who I felt so much anger toward and I pictured them and I pictured holding them in my hand. I don't know why this is such a weird image but I pictured saying, 
uh, I forgive you and I bless you. And then putting them in a little boat and setting them out in the river. I don't know why that's what I did, but that felt loving to me. That felt like I can't keep you right here. I can't keep my anger toward you so close to my body, right in my heart all the time. I bless you and I forgive you. And I send you out on a boat ride. That's what, that's the image that worked for me in that season. It makes sense though. You, you describe grief, the, the, the kitten analogy, talk about the kitten analogy, because that grief goes along with what you're saying. There's the loss, the, the, <laughs> the adios go in the yeah. boat. There's a loss, but if we keep holding on, we're not releasing. Yeah. And I think there's uh, for me, I found anger feels very powerful. It feels like you're in control. It feels like you, uh, it, it's active and it, it's it makes you, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas grief is very vulnerable and it's very tender and it, it, it forces you to confront your own fragility and your own loss. And anger is a lot safer sometimes because you can like use it to punch, right? And you want to, when that feels powerful and active and grief feels like, oh, am I just going to sit here? in the middle of all this pain? And the answer is yes. That's how we get through is by just sitting in the middle of it and acknowledging it. But one of the other, so I I had to work on forgiveness. I also had to work on letting myself sit in grief as opposed to that protective, powerful shield of anger. Mm. Anger is less scary, but if you, if you stay in the anger, you don't get to tend to the grief and to the true brokenheartedness. And that's, I think where the real healing lies. And it's a good word for all of us coming out of a lot of loss and a lot of grief and not acknowledging it. And so the anger that's going out sideways and causing those disruptions mm-hmm. in relationships we just talked about is maybe undealt with grief. Oh, absolutely. It's much easier to stay in our anger instead of dealing with our grief. So you mentioned it was a daily practice of taking them, putting in their hand, sending them on the boat. Do you have rituals or practices or rhythms for your day that kind of tether you when everything else is changing? I do. I will. I mean, I, I would, I would say things kind of in two directions. On one hand, I'm horrible at keeping routines. Like I don't do the same thing every day ever. Um, but there are some patterns, especially in really difficult seasons that have been helpful for me. I think in really serious seasons of loss, you need more quiet than usual, more solitude than usual. For me, writing was a really important and healing part of it. Not writing for a book for anyone to see, but just writing for myself in order to understand myself and to release some of the emotions I was holding inside. Mm. Walking was also really important for me. So I would say, yeah, silence, writing, and walking became things that I held to kind of like lifelines um, to, to help me through that really difficult season. And it sounds like, I mean, you already knew this from your other books, but it sounds like reconnecting with your hospitality as a discipline. I mean, I think people don't recognize like it's, it's a choice Mm -hmm. to let people in, especially if you're in a place of grief and loss and anger. One of the things that I wrote about in the book was uh, a friend of mine, uh, her brother was, um, became a priest. He was ordained as a priest. And one of the things that she was telling me about it is that now that he has become a priest, the expectation is that he says mass every day for the rest of his life. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, is that like a, like, I don't know, like they want to keep his skills sharp or it's how to, you know, get enough priests in enough parishes or something. And she was like, no, it's about keeping him centered on his vocation 
every day. This is who you are and this is what you've been called to do. And I think that's really important. When I was in the the most intense stretch of pain, I thought I'm never writing again. Mm. And I'm never connecting with people on a deep level. Again, I'm never opening my heart or my home to anyone ever again. And those are okay things to feel. And also if I let my own vocation, my own calling, my own greatest passions be lost in the middle of all this pain, what a tragedy. Right? Enough things were taken from me. I did not have to give up some of my greatest joys and callings, which are writing and hospitality. And so there's a there was like this tiny little stubborn part of me that's like, I'm not a, I'm not letting those go. Those are who I am. And no one can take those from me, not even um, a really painful set of circumstances. Nobody gets to take away. Um, my love for writing and my love for hospitality. And so I practiced them in the midst of great pain. A lot of times, even though I didn't want to, a lot of times, even though I felt scared, a lot of times, even though it felt risky and like I was going to get hurt again, but whatever those things are that make you feel like yourself, like this is who I am in the world. This is like what I was put on the planet to do. It's really important to keep doing them, especially when the storm is swirling around you. It reminds you who you've always been, and that's really valuable. So Shauna lives in New York, and I have told you all in a previous episode how I went on my New York trip and how I am obsessed with one of our sponsors' products, the Rothy's sneakers, just changed the game for me. First of all, they were super comfortable walking all those steps. I've never had more steps in, <laughs> in a day than walking around New York City. Also, they could get filthy and I didn't even worry about it because I can just toss them in the washing machine and they come out looking better than new. They also are super cute. I got a pair in my colors, a little bit off-white for me is, is my color as a spring, and a bright blue. So if you want to check them out, I would highly recommend it. I even get to give you a special coupon code. As a Don't Mom Alone listener, you can step up your shoes and accessories this spring. Get ready to be asked, are those Rothy's? Get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com forward slash DMA for Don't Mom Alone. That's Rothy's, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash DMA. Check out their point, the flat. They have ankle boots and loafers and men's shoes. So much more over at rothys.com slash DMA. This episode was also brought to you by Crossway and Kevin DeYoung's new book, The Biggest Story Bible Storybook. The Bible is a big book about a great God from beginning to end. Each page tells about the God who created the world, acted in history, and continues to act in the present. Beginning in Genesis and ending with Revelation, DeYoung retells the unified story of Scripture through 104 easy-to-read Bible stories. Each reading is coupled with beautiful illustrations by award-winning artist Don Clark and concludes with a reflective prayer. It's perfect for bedtime stories or to read together as a family. Both children and parents alike will experience afresh the captivating story of the Bible in an easy-to-understand, compelling way. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org 
forward slash plus P-L-U-S to find out how you can get 30% off. That's crossway.org forward slash plus to get 30% off. And it's it's your gift back. It's your gift back to the world. It's the Jewish tradition after a month of grief is that you you create and make and offer something to the world as your response to the loss. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it's this, no, you're not, you're not getting me all the way down. Yeah. Okay? I am. I'm coming back and I have, I have gifts to offer. This is mm-hmm. not the end of me. Absolutely. Um, and I, like we use the phrase unbelonging. It sounds like a, a rediscovery of belonging. And sort of a shift, yeah, a shifting of that perspective. I don't think I will belong to anything again in my life the way I belonged to my church, my hometown, my extended family. I don't think we were meant to. I think uh, I wanted too much. I took too much of my identity from that community. I over-identified with uh, too much of who I was was wrapped up in that place and those people and those ideas. And, um, and I'm not saying I won't belong to something else the same way again, because I got hurt. I'm saying because I don't think we're meant to, I think we're supposed to belong primarily to ourselves and to God and to our marriages, if we're married and to a couple other people in the world. But I don't know. And I don't know that that belonging has to last forever in order for it to be valid. I think we need to be known by a handful of people and cared for, and we need to care for them and know them. But I think gaining our identity from any other group or job or role, anything outside of ourselves is signing ourselves up for some pretty serious heartache. It's interesting to me when I was thinking back to our previous interviews Mm -hmm. and at the time it felt like God already had you on this journey of letting go. Hmm. And it was through Henry's words of, I want more of this. I want more of us together um, of what you're talking about, of the Mm -hmm. belonging of you not leaving to go speak at a thing and burn out. I mean, I think you were in Dallas when you were just like, I'm over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm over it. Uh, But what a grace that you leaned into that shift Mm -hmm. in your heart, your home before even this other seismic shift. Like, I can't like, God is so compassionate that he mm-hmm. knows what's coming before we do. Mm-hmm. And if we remain hard hearted to those promptings of our little people or whatever, I think we actually can miss the grace a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. And do you think back to that choice of you making those steps closer to home in that season? Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for those choices. And then it, you know, it does feel like my whole journey the last 10 years has been away from what I do out there toward what I'm building in here, meaning in my own heart, in my nuclear family, in this little apartment, in this little neighborhood, my life is getting a lot smaller. And I think that's counterintuitive and countercultural, but I really, really think it's the right path for me. It's not necessarily the path we all have to take, but it's the right path for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that offering it as an option, I was just reading in Matthew 18, 
where the disciples are asking God, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I've read it so many times, but somehow it hit me. He says, turn, turn and become like these children. Like there's a, like a flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. You're wanting greatest in a ranking and a ordering and a better than, and turn away from that concept and become like this child who is curious, compassionate, you know, the things that we're talking about, and it's not necessarily size of platform. He's not talking about those aspects. He's talking about your posture. And so before we go, I'd love to hear some of the postures you've adopted in this season of finding belonging with you and with your people. What have you found to be the most valuable? You kind of mentioned it when you meet a new person to be curious about their story. What other things have you found to be valuable? I mean, the title of your book gives away one of them. Right. Um, so, you know, I keep, I keep saying that this season in my life is all about self-compassion, curiosity, and courage. And I, I think those three things work together and separately in some really interesting ways. But I think whenever you're, you find yourself in a season of great change, those are the tools that you need to get through. And as a like human entity right now. Like we are all living yeah. through a season of extraordinary of change upon change, upon change, upon change. And so I think to consider, you know, self-compassion is speaking to ourselves the way we would speak to other people. You know, it's like just really simple, giving the same graciousness and respect and kindness that we quite easily offer to other people. But a lot of times I know I don't give it to myself curiosity is just giving yourself the freedom to be a learner again, instead of being an expert, instead of having to know the answers. It means um, for me, it's been the portal to some really interesting friendships. When every friendship, like we were talking at the beginning of the conversation, when every friendship is based on either shared history or what we agree on or what we hold in common, that's one thing. But when you spend time with someone and you say, Hey, teach me about that. I have not, I, I've never been to the part of the world that you're from. Can you tell me about it? I've never practiced this tradition that your family observes. Tell me about it. Curiosity is such a bridge to meaningful connection. And then courage. This has honestly been the hardest one for me. When I um, go through really hard things, I lose my bravery a little bit. I just want to hide. I want to stay home. I want somebody to protect me and take care of me. And I have had to work really, really hard to recover my sense of courage but when I do it, I know that I feel more like myself and I feel more proud of myself. And so I think those three tools, if you're going through any sort of storm or chaos or season of change, curiosity, self-compassion, and courage are, are the, the, the tools to keep with you along that journey. What have been some courageous things you started with? Did you start with? The first couple of things that come to mind. I think forgiveness is really scary and I think it is really hard and it, it's like, uh, like an extremely aggressive workout, but for your insides, you know what I mean? It's like, you're really doing some hard work. Yeah. And so I've worked really, really hard to be a, a person who forgives. Um, and then, you know, getting to know a whole new group of people, especially after you've been really hurt is hard and that has taken some courage. And then I would say the third thing is, in the middle of the worst of my hardest season, I said, I'll never write again. I'll never show up in public again in any way. It's too hard. It's too scary. I can't manage the weight and the feeling of exposure. And it's just too much. I can't do it anymore. And I still wonder that sometimes I don't know necessarily what the future looks like, but I know for right now, I committed to finishing this book. And so I did, 
And that felt really difficult. This book was the hardest one for me by a factor of a hundred. And it really required a lot from me. And it's not perfect. I mean, this, I mean, you know, the, the second you publish a book, you immediately see all the things you got wrong. You're like, oh shoot, I forgot to say that. And I should have said this. And or you do all these better? interviews and you're like, why did I put that in there? That's amazing. Totally. I just came up with that right now. Right. So good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. It is hard. It's very but, hard. Yeah, it is. And I'm also just, I'm really proud of having made it. It's wildly imperfect. That's okay. It's not for everyone. That's okay. But I got it done when I didn't think I could. And I'm grateful for that. I'm proud of that. I feel like I know you better after reading it. And I think that's a gift Mm. that you, there's a hospitality in your home. We talk about that putting out the charcuterie and then there's a hospitality of heart and that's Mm. brave to let people peek in to what matters to you and what you've been through and not necessarily even documentable outside things, but internal heart journeys. It's, it's very kind to let us in. So thank you. Thank you. That, um, it's interesting that you made that connection. Um, I think the core of my vocation is hospitality. And one of the ways it manifests itself is through writing. So it means a lot to me that you saw that and felt that. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, you take truths and you bring them to the streets and you, you help us walk in them. It's different Mm -hmm. from like having these heady things that no one can attach to their own lives. It's another thing to to hold the door open and say, sit on the couch with me and let's process this together so that then you walk out and you are living with in a new way that's more gracious and open and connected. And so I feel like you do that very well. Thank you. That's, that's really meaningful to me. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Very last question. I'm making charcuterie. What do I put on it? What's what cheeses would you pick right now? You said two cheeses. What are they? Okay. So you've got, you've got a a cutting board or a sheet pan. Yeah. So I would start an idea. Sheet pans are my favorite. Because for me, during the pandemic, especially we all, we could not be in each other's apartments. And so we gathered in our courtyard, which was like just a lifesaver, but it meant that every time I made a cheese board, um, I was trying to carry it down three (laughs) flights of stairs and then I was setting it on the ground. And so like, if it didn't have sides, it's like treacherous, right? And the ants and and the, yes. And like, it's slidey down the the stairs. And so I started using like a little half sheet pan it's perfect. And then I have a bigger one that I use if I know there are going to be more people. So I would say, start with a sheet pan, two cheeses. I tend to do like a, a hard cheddar or a um, Dubliner or some like sort of Vermont white cheddar, something like that. And then something soft, either like a Borzan. Everybody loves that. Or a goat cheese. When you say Borzan, is that Borson? Am I saying it wrong? Oh my gosh. You just at today years old, I <laughs> Borson. I had a souffle last night with crab and what did you say? Borson, Borzan, Borzan. Oh, there's a Z. Oh my gosh, <laughs> my world. I'm gonna sound so smart in my next. Time. I could. I mean, I could be wrong. That's how I no, say it. No, it sounds amazing. I love that. Okay, Borzan. Like people, a soft. Just, yeah, yeah. Borzan. People love it. So yeah, one hard and one it. soft. Yes. And if you're only doing two, I wouldn't do like a blue or like super stinky or anything like that. I would do like a. A, a cheddar-y, very kind of, but a little, a little sharp and then something soft, either a, a borzan or a um, goat cheese. Okay. And then I would add at least one kind of meat. Um, and I think your fave, 
prosciutto would probably be my fave. Um, I don't really eat a lot of the meats when I put them out, but other people do a hundred percent. I'm not a huge meat eater. Um, I'm, I'm a huge cheese eater, um, cheese and bread and tomatoes. I could just live forever. So <laughs> the meat, to be honest, I put out for other people, but they love it. And prosciutto is usually the first to go or some kind of salami. That's not too spicy. And then I try for one vegetable and one fruit and then something dried and then a nut. So if I have little grape tomatoes or like a a cucumber sliced and then either an apple or some strawberries and then something dried, like either, you know, figs or apricots or raisins or any, any little dried fruit and then one kind of nut and then olives and pickles are like a, if you have them, they're nice to throw out there, but, and then at least two kinds of crackers or bread. Cause someone's hey, always gluten free. Like, I feel like there's lots of options. Um, I love the Trader Joe's, um, fig and rosemary. I think yes. those are incredible. They also have a red scalloped red pepper cracker. It's so good. It's very spicy. Okay. It's delicious. Okay. I also like their little pita crackers. Oh, yeah. Um, but I also think I'm partial to Triscuits. If I were to, if there, if I were like walking into like a, a grocery store straight for the Triscuits, those are my number one. Okay. Yeah. And then with the hard cheese, do you cut it ahead of time or do you let the people cut it? I cut it ahead of time. If I'm, if it's like a fancy cocktail party, which I don't have, but if I did (laughs) and, and I had like a beautiful kitchen Island and I'd like a beautiful board, then I, someone can stand there with their glass of wine and cut. Right. But what I mostly do is um, a tiny little apartment where our, you know, cheese board is on our coffee table or literally a picnic where it's on the ground and nobody needs to be like on the ground trying to work a knife. That's, you don't need that. So nobody wants that. No, that's good. I think it is like a little more chic to have like all fancy knives. I just go ahead and slice it all. So you can just grab everything you need is bite size and you can grab it all. And it doesn't have to be beautiful and it doesn't have to have like, you know, edible flowers on it. It just Making the flowers out of the, the no, we don't no. I mean, I appreciate it. I don't do it. No, no one's Um, doing this. Okay. No sheet pan. That's all you need. This is so good. I'm so thankful you helped us. And I think it's, (laughs) it's thoughtful. What you did was thoughtful and that's what people love. They don't need to be perfect. They want you to know, they want to know, Oh my gosh, she thought of me ahead of time. Yes. She put these together. That feels loving. And it's not about what it looks like. It's about feeding people. It's about people feeling like I came here hungry and you met my need. That's what it's about. And and really my need, like I'm pointing at my chest. Like, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Not about the food. (laughs) It never is. Never it is. But it is, but it's not. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Shauna. Y'all get, I guess I haven't learned that yet. It is coming out this week. And so you are going to want to copy it's it. You know what, for you moms, you are going to love how Shauna has written this up with these essays that are, you're going to feel like you've accomplished so much when you've read a story and you've connected. And then you're like, Oh, I don't have to read 72 pages to get through one chapter. Can, <laughs> you know, that is true. They are very They're short bite size. It's, it's almost like how you cut up the cheese. You did it. It's true. <laughs> you cut there it you up go. for us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks for being with me again. And y'all will link to the other episodes. You want to hear more Shauna? Wish you do. Thanks y'all for listening. I hope it was an encouragement to you, especially if you can relate to Shauna's season of unbelonging. I just want to say a prayer over us. Lord, I thank you that you extend constant companionship in the midst of our deepest grief. I pray, Lord, for that voice of self-compassion 
terrain in our hearts and in our minds where we're in a new place, an unknown experience that we could have that posture of, I haven't learned that yet and grace for that time. I pray, Lord, that we would have curiosity to be non-judgmental observers of our experience and to just learn, to just have a posture of learning, learning from you, learning from those around us, learning from the hardest parts of our story. And I pray for courage, courage to keep going when everything is flipped upside down, courage to reach out to a new person and extend hospitality or wherever you lead us when um, it seems easier to stay hidden. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us to overflowing with hope, with love, with grace, and all the different transitions that we're experiencing in life, all the seasons of um, where, you know, the enemy could really easily discourage us and bring shame about our worth based on that experience of transition. And I pray your identity and worth would speak loudest over us, that we belong in your kingdom, that we belong in your family as children of you, that we we are have inherited the kingdom because of Christ, that we are your daughters and sons. And I pray that we would rest in that knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all, for joining me. Um, please, yes, check out the show notes if you want to hear more from Shauna and just um, her insights and check out her new book. And also next week, I'll be back here with Amanda and David from Flourishing Homes and Families. Uh, if you follow their Instagram page, they are experts in Christian gentle parenting and Also, y'all know you can get a weekly email from me where I give you all my favorite things. I share all my favorite things from the previous week. Anything I'm thinking about, any questions I've gotten from listeners, you can connect with me. Uh, Just go to Ola Heather. Ola starts with an H like Heather. H-O-L-A. OlaHeather.com. You can sign up there to get that little message from me every Monday. All right. I'll meet you here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.